Simon. Good morning again. So here we are. We are beginning our new sermon series on 1 Corinthians. Who's excited about that? Good. That's a reasonable number. And I have to say, it feels like the beginning um, of uh, not only a new series, but a more normal period for us as a church. For after the usual bitty summer where people are here, there and everywhere, and lots of one-off events and services last month, today more normal life begins. Centering on what is one of my favourite books of the New Testament and certainly one of the most interesting. And of course the series title, One, comes from the title of the book. But it also comes from Paul's concern with unity, a theme that runs throughout the letter together with purity or integrity, being one with ourselves, living consistently with our values and our beliefs, and of course, oneness with God, that life of intimacy with our Creator that we were all made to enjoy. So I'm going to unpack these themes as I introduce the letter, the city, and the context today. A context that, as we'll see later, has many parallels with our own. But first, let me pray. Father God, would you excite us now about this letter? Excite us about what we can learn from it. Excite us about finding out more about a real community, a real church with real problems and real potential. And use it to change to encourage, to challenge, and inspire us. Amen. Okay, right. Well, the first half of this talk, before we have the reading, it's not yet, Bill, so you can... Oh, you're just getting up anyway, that's fine. <laughs> the first half um, is, a, is an introduction to Corinth, and then I'm going to look specifically at the passage that Bill's going to read shortly. So let's start with New Testament Corinth. And it really was, in many ways, actually the premier city of Greece. Yes, of course, Athens, which we all think of, uh, was a university town. It had the history, the, the, the most history of any place in Greece. But by that point, the first century AD, it was a faded glory. Corinth, by now, was the commercial hub of the country, emerging, vibrant, and hugely successful, whereas Athens was well past its best. And much of that success, I have to say, was down to its location. And uh, we're going to show some pictures now, which will help make that clear. That just reminds you where Greece is, and you can see Corinth towards the bottom. Let's go on to the next one. If you look there, you can see that most of Greece is linked to its southern part by this thin strip of land, and Corinth is right there. And at its narrowest point, it's just six miles. And what used to happen is uh, that place, Corinth, was the natural crossroads of the roads going from south to north in Greece. And then of all of the sea trade going from the west in Spain and Italy through that uh, thin passage of water, what's called, I think, the Gulf of Corinth there, um, and uh, landing in Corinth. And then all of those uh, boats coming from the east, from Egypt, from Turkey, and such like coming over to Corinth as well. And on that thin strip of land right by Corinth, just six miles, they, uh, they had lots and lots of, um, I don't know what you'd call them now, um, on wheels, they would transport either the smaller ships, that six miles from one 
port to the other so they could carry on their way. Or they would take the cargo for the bigger ships and transport it across that six miles. And uh, as you can imagine, everyone stayed in Corinth. The boats that came from the east, the boats that came from the west, the people going north and south, they all traded when they got there. It had everything going for it. So that's the geography. Let's go through the other pictures. I'll just give you a little tour. That's the, uh, the center of Corinth. And many of these sites uh, are still there. Uh, there were ruins there that you can see. Um, that's the Temple of Apollo, one of the famous temples. Uh, this is the Pyrene, Pyrene, I think it's called, fountain, which was a natural water source, and they, and they really built around it, as you can see, and that was where people came and got that water, and, and they had lovely fountains there. And there you can see uh, more sense of the, the location and, and the scale of the ruins that are still present from that city of Corinth. And there we go. That is now a canal, but that is where they used to transport uh, the cargo from one port to the other through that string, thin strip of land, and it's now a canal. So that gives you a sense of what Corinth looks, out, looks like, and some of you, I'm sure, have visited it, as indeed Kate has. So... It's a city that had been great before. In the height of the Greek Empire, uh, it had been uh, a place that had thrived. But then the Romans had sacked it. They had destroyed Corinth for whatever reason. And for a hundred years, it lay completely in ruins. And then Julius Caesar actually restored it. He um, built it up again, first of all, as a place that uh, soldiers and army officers could retire to. So in that respect, a little bit like Camberley, I guess. And, uh, and uh, but then, then after he'd settled it again, and with all the trade advantages, loads and loads of other Roman citizens and loads of uh, Greek uh, people as well settled there, such that in the end, by the time of this letter being written, there were 250,000, a quarter and a million free people and 400,000 slaves, not slaves as you know, we might think of in more recent centuries, but people who, in a sense, were contracted servants um, living there. So that's 650,000. That is more than most cities in the UK today. And it was an extraordinarily big and bustling, impressive place with great civic buildings, excellent defences, and a beautiful setting to boot as well. But it wasn't just commerce. The city was famous for tourism too, especially because of the famous Isthmian Games. Has anyone heard of them? No one's heard of them. But they were second only to the Olympics. And every other year, the year before and the year after the Olympics, the Isthmian Games happened. And visitors would flood in for those. There was lots of infrastructure that was built to support them. Think back to London 2012 and uh, what that was like. And you get an idea of what Corinth was like every two years. But that wasn't all it was famous for, because it was also a society where, to be brutally honest, anything goes. Immorality was rife in Corinth. And just to give you an example, alongside um, a great religiosity, you actually had this element as well. So, for example, uh, you saw the Temple of Apollo on the picture there, but another famous temple was the temple uh, devoted to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And, um, yeah, there, let's just say that there was stuff going on there that we wouldn't approve of. And uh, it led to the fact that Corinthianize, as a verb, came to mean to practice sexual immorality. And we can obviously work out why there would be legacies of that 
there would be issues going on in the life of Corinth as a church, which Paul needed to address. But more virtuous aspects of Greek culture were also prevalent, especially uh, an interest in Greek philosophy and in uh, wisdom, which is a backdrop to some of the issues in the letter as well, and a great interest in rhetoric. And they would have loads and loads of visiting speakers um, who would try and uh, gather around them people who agreed with what they had to say um, through persuasion, I think generally by force of personality rather than a statement of the truth. But rhetoric, wisdom, and uh, these kind of things uh, were important there as well. And we also see that uh, in the letter. Added to its culture, which I think I would summarize like this, individualism, entrepreneurialism, and the idealization of self. Corinth had thrived because people took risks in business and they were rewarded. Businesses flourished, trade flourished, people became very rich, it produced great inequalities of wealth. And this spirit of individualism and entrepreneurialism really helped them with trade But it just had some problems which it brought into the culture and the church. Not least, really a lack of concern about others as people put themselves first. And also ostentation around wealth which um, creates some problems that the letter addresses as well. So that gives you a flavour. Put it all together, then I think in Corinth you have a culture, a confidence and a context that to be brutally honest was very similar to ours today. As I've described it, I think you'll probably agree. And so the relevance of this letter, time and time again, is going to be obvious as it tackles issues and tackles wrong thinking and it tackles problems that actually we also have in the 21st century West today. So that's the city. What about the author and the letter? Well, Paul, as many of you know, was the main writer of the New Testament and the founder and overseer of most of the Gentile church. This was his third letter, very nearly the longest as well. And it came in response to two communications. One was from members of the household of Chloe, and the passage in a moment we'll hear, who had informed him that factions had developed in the church. But they also brought disturbing information about moral irregularities, which Paul has to tackle. And then there was a letter from the church itself that had been received that requested advice on several subjects. And Paul answers all of those at various points through the letter too. So put it all together, and yes, 1 Corinthians is written to tackle immaturity, immorality, and difficult issues. Yet it was also a church of great potential, with many spiritual gifts being practiced, and the wonderful chapter 12 is all about that, with a lot of knowledge, a lot of enthusiasm, and a huge amount of potential. It was a church that really, with help from Paul, could flourish and grow. So without further ado, let's now hear how Paul begins his letter to them. So the reading is taken from the first uh, letter to the Corinthians, beginning at the first verse. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not <clears throat> with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bill. So as I've already said, the two themes I want to pull out just briefly now are unity and purity. Two virtues that frankly are no more fashionable today than they were then, but which are absolutely fundamental to this letter and God's heart for his church. And we see them together right at the beginning of the passage. After Paul has established his authority to instruct them in verse 1, he then says in this crucial verse 2, this. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the lens through which Paul wants the Corinthians to read the whole of his letter. It's the framework and the motivation through which everything else, he says, makes sense, which together capture that oneness that our series is all about, that inner 
and collective harmony that we all need. So let's unpack them. And note first that who we are theologically through what Jesus has already done for us is the starting point for Paul. And he says there, we're sanctified, which means we are holy in God's sight. If we've accepted the gift of Jesus dying in our place, that is how God sees us. The status that Jesus had before God, pure and morally perfect, has been given, has been imparted to us through that wonderful exchange. We took what Jesus had, that God sees him as perfect. That is where we as Christians stand. But of course, whilst that is our identity, our actions may not reflect that. We can fail to live in accordance with our status and position before God. That's the inner disharmony that sin is actually all about. And we feel that discord, that lack of wholeness and integrity, which so effectively snatches away our peace. And that's why the outworking of our status is so important. We are called to be holy living in alignment with our identity, our theology, and indeed the rest of our church community seeking to do that together so that we can truly be who we are, so that we can be who we are. And that communal element leads me on to a a wider focus for our calling that's there in that passage as well. For not only are we called to be holy together in one church, But we're called to recognize our wider place in the universal church of God. That's why Paul said, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Corinthians, in their confidence and in their sense of being from such a special place, thought that they could practice their own brand of Christianity. They thought they could shape their own moral absolutes accountable to no one but themselves. Yet the oneness that Paul stresses is not just with God or within themselves. It's with the wider church and the wider church leadership and all that God was doing across the world. And of course, ultimately in the scriptures that in this letter and in many other letters would ultimately be recorded for the generations to come. And it's the same for us. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. We thought about that last week, didn't we? It includes the church in Asia, America, and Africa, and all places in between. Whether we're from the UK or the Ukraine or anywhere else, we're part of one body, the global universal church of God. One church under one head with one Lord, their Lord and ours. So whatever our particular style of flavor of church of preference Whatever our age, our sex, our background, our ethnicity, we belong together. Called to that purity and called to that unity. God helping us every step of the way. Which is what the letter then goes on to tell us. Where he says this, I thank you because of his grace given you. For in him you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and knowledge. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. And I want to say to you today, church, that you too have been gifted. Gifted with the ability to speak and to see 
to communicate and comprehend, to preach and perceive, just as Paul affirms the Corinthians for being, and gifted in many other ways too. There's nothing to stop us here at St. Paul's being greatly used by God, just as they were, to reach our community, to live with integrity, to serve in solidarity, and to worship in unity. We too have been given everything we need in the passion, the gifts, and the experience that we have in all of us. Aided, of course, by God, because then the passage tells us he will keep you firm to the end. God is faithful. For good spiritual intentions are only ever fulfilled when we also pray and seek God's protection, direction, encouragement, and power together with the support and encouragement of each other. We don't fail to flourish because God lets us down. We do so because we don't fully seek and rely on his help. Or because we don't center our allegiance and our identity fully on him. I won't really go into this, but that's why verses 10 to 17 are necessary. Paul is established in the first bit of the chapter where our loyalty and dependence should truly lie to God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't need factions because only one allegiance truly matters. We shouldn't elevate anyone else as a rival to Jesus through our obedience and praise. As Paul will put it later in chapter 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The best way to avoid disunity with each other is through resolute, single-minded devotion and dedicated dedication to Jesus. So let me finish by bringing this all together to our situation today as a church here on October the 2nd. For Corinth was a prosperous, confident community, just as Camberley and Surrey clearly are. It was a gifted, talented, knowledgeable church, just as we too are as well. They lived in a pluralistic, individualistic, indeed somewhat hedonistic culture, just as we increasingly do. In a society with a tendency towards division, as ours most definitely does in this social media-driven age. They were a diverse congregation, as ours clearly is as well, whether by background, ethnicity, economics, or all sorts of other things. In our church too, we've had many new people, and so we even are diverse in terms of what we're used to and how long we've been here. But all of those things, God can bring them together if we unite around the fact that we are part of the dearly loved, holy, precious people of God. So as we go into this series and immerse ourselves in this book, will we commit ourselves to purity, seeking to be what we are, called to be holy? And will we do it together, knowing that we have just one allegiance to the one faith, one church, with one head, Jesus Christ, united as one body here at St. Paul's, yet knowing and cherishing our kinship with believers all over the world, one with Jesus and one with each other, just as God created us to be. Amen.
Well, let me pray for us now. Is that all right? Okay. Okay. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for gifting us. Thank you for drawing us to this place for many different backgrounds, with many different skills, experiences, and gifts. We pray that you would mold us and shape us in purity and in unity to serve and bring glory to you. Amen. Well, we're going to move straight into communion, but this is the moment where someone from the team can just let both groups uh, upstairs and downstairs know. That would be great. As we remember that unity that we have expressed in the fact that together we receive the bread and wine, as people all over the world do, as a statement, as a declaration that we are part of one church with one Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So the words will come now on the screen. If you say the words in yellow. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. It is right to praise you, Father. Lord of all creation, in your love you made us for yourself. When we turned away, you did not reject us, but came to meet us in your Son. You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ you shared our life, that we might live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night that he was betrayed, at supper with his friends, he took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His body is the bread of life. At the end of supper, taking the cup of wine, he gave you thanks and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed for all. As we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, send your Holy Spirit that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ, our risen Lord. With your whole church throughout the world, we offer you this sacrifice of praise and lift our voice to join the eternal song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, 
Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. And so now as the children have joined us as well, let's all adults and children pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. And so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. God's holy gifts for God's holy people. Jesus Christ is holy. Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So come, not because you're perfect, but because you want to be who you are. Come, not because you're strong, but because you want to rely on God. Come, because he loves you. And you are forgiven. Can the communion assistants help me now, please? blessing on this your child and this your children Lord would you strengthen them and pour your love upon them all their days. Amen. 
body of Christ fully complete. Fully the body of Christ fully complete. Fully the body of Christ fully complete. Fully the body of Christ fully complete. God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you, you're where my health is wrong. Give me wisdom, you know just what to do. Just what to do, and I will love you, Lord, my strength, and I will love you, Lord, my shield, and I will love you, Lord, my rock, forever, all my days, I will love you. Hallelujah. 
almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Shall we stand and sing our final song, which is all about that one faith that we all share with one Lord. So let's stand and sing the creed together. Our Father, everlasting, the all-creating One, God Almighty. Through Your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Our judge and our defender. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of God, I believe, I believe in God our
about the men's breakfast that needs to be signed up today. Got that? Okay. So don't do anything else between now and signing up. Except we want to hear what the children have been learning in their classes. Is there, is Bethany around or, yes, at the back. In the meantime, adults, tell the children, what have we been learning? Or what have you learned? Anything. Unity and purity. Comes from Bob. Hmm? Gifted and holy. Really good. Those will do. Oh, how about you, Bethany? Super. Well, would some children like to come and share what we've been doing today? Clara, does anyone else want to come? Brilliant. You can come and some of you can show what you have made as well. Brilliant. Now, what have we been learning today? Would someone like to say? Glenn? Um, we've been learning about Jesus feeding the 5,000 Yep, so we did the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and you'll see lots of people have made bread baskets, um, which have in their loaves and fishes inside, and some even turned them into handbags, so, you know, very nice basket, or man bags, sorry, I've been corrected, um, and we were thinking, what was our theme we were thinking about, can anyone remember, Elisa? Jesus fed the 5,000. He did feed the 5,000, yes. And we were thinking about numbers, weren't we? And how there was 5,000 people there. But, Clara, this is... That you, there's no limit of numbers to being in God's family. Exactly. We're doing this new series called One. But there's no limit on number of people who can be part of God's family. Because no matter where we come from and we worked out where all our wider families are from around the map, no matter where we are, we're part of one family with God. And so we said that that's why Jesus also wanted to feed all those people. 
Bethany, thank you very much. Okay, everyone sit down and we'll say the blessing now. And after that, you have the opportunity to... Yes, goodbye, stage. Yes, thank you. Um, goodbye, children and, and, and animals. Um, okay, time for coffee after this. How about meeting somebody who you don't know or don't know well? All right? Not just going to the usual suspects. I'll leave that thought with you. And we end with a blessing which is written by Aaron, and it's recorded in Numbers uh, chapter 6. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. Amen. The service is over. The refreshments are at the back. You all deserve to go and have some. <laughs>